Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, the editor at the Security Ledger. We've been reading a lot in recent weeks about the Heartbleed vulnerability, a very serious flaw in a common open source package, OpenSSL, that's used by many online web services and web applications. While most of the major services that were vulnerable to the Heartbleed vulnerability have applied the OpenSSL patch, others remain vulnerable. Beyond patching the Heartbleed SSL vulnerability, one of the big issues is to how to avoid similar problems in the design and deployment of online applications. And with us today to talk about that is Adam Goodman. Adam is a principal security architect at Duo Security. Adam, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. It's great having you. Thanks for having me on, Paul. First of all, let's talk a little bit uh, about Heartbleed. Duo obviously operates a online uh, multi-factor authentication service. So you're one of these, you know, new generation security as a service or online services. What was Duo's response to the Heartbleed vulnerability, both the impact of Heartbleed on Duo, the company's response, and then uh, we can talk about these great blog posts that you guys put together about the sort of larger security questions that Heartbleed raises. Yeah, sure. So we had um, we had been fairly diligent about keeping our servers updated and making sure that we supported all of the latest SSL and TLS uh, cipher suites, which and making sure that we did perfect forward security and all of that. And of course, this was a recipe for getting hit with Heartbleed because it was only the latest versions of OpenSSL that were affected. So as soon as we heard about the vulnerability, we you know we deployed a patch to all of our infrastructure as quickly as we could. We had it all out and corrected within a small number of hours. But then after that we also spent some time kind of looking back to try to figure out exactly what the impact of this could have been for us, as, as anyone should have. And this sort of gave us actually an opportunity, we thought, to talk about some of the ideas that we'd put into practice as we were building our system. A lot of the issues that Heartbleed had was that generally it would, you, you as an attacker could send a specially crafted message to someone else's server, and the server would respond with a dump of some arbitrary region of memory. And in practice, what we saw was that a lot or most of the time, what he would get back is actually some some of what should have been encrypted data that was being sent or received from other users of that same server. So most you know, basic online authentication mechanisms for web services, you see something like a username and password being sent over SSL, but with no additional protection. Or you see things like once a user has authenticated, then there's a cookie that maintains some session state, and that, again, is being passed over SSL, but there's no additional protection on top of that. Of course, the industry has 
kind of moved towards using SSL for all of these things after attacks like FireSheet from a few years ago when it became really easy with a couple of clicks to steal other people's Facebook cookies and impersonate them. So moving towards SSL is an improvement, but again, we think that it's where possible everyone should be building more defenses so that even if there are compromises in SSL, there are ways to mitigate the impact of Heartbleed. I'm not saying that an issue like Heartbleed isn't still going to cause problems, but if we can make its impact a little bit less, then that's a big win. So there was this huge push to get everybody, all these online services and application providers to start you know, encrypting by default. And now a few years later, we're sort of in the place of having a conversation of saying, well, it, it's great if you're using encryption, but encryption itself isn't enough, particularly if you haven't implemented it properly, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I talk about these major breaks that we've seen in SSL and TLS infrastructure, I'm not even getting into the sort of common ways that you can misconfigure your system so that you're using SSL, but it doesn't really provide you any value. But more than that, I do still totally believe in the idea that deployment of SSL should be as ubiquitous as possible. The alternatives to me all seem like they're probably worse. If you're not using SSL at all, then you know we know that that's putting your users at risk. This has been very emphatically and repeatedly demonstrated. You know, in the case of the web, there really isn't much of an alternative because we're stuck with whatever the browsers support. And otherwise, even if we were, then it would probably be a protocol that's a lot less well understood and studied by the white hat security community. I still believe, even even though Heartbleed was kind of a bad example because it, it the bug existed for two years, I still believe that with a protocol like SSL that's used almost universally, we're a bit more likely to find out if there are serious problems than someone's homegrown crypto that no no one has actually studied and validated. So, uh, you know, one of your, as Duo's kind of value propositions is, you know, if you're using a technology like Duo and Duo Push, that gives you an added layer of protection against session hijacking, for example, or, or other types of online attacks. But is that practical in all cases? It's an additive, really, to basic encryption of the of the traffic. It, it's not a replacement for. That's exactly right. The way we look at this is that instead of trying to concentrate all of your security aspirations in kind of one particular magical solution, you need to build security into every component of your system, or at least, you know, have a very holistic view of security in your system and and include it in as many places as you reasonably can. For something like Duo, we don't really look at two-factor or at strong authentication as being a binary switch. It's not just do you have it or not. There, there's a whole scale of how strong your authentication mechanisms can be and what types of attacks they can resist. So as you mentioned, with something like do a push, you could set that up with our system so that it authenticates individual actions. The example we like to give is online banking. Instead of authenticating a session where you log in with the username and password to a bank website, and then you complete some sort of second factor challenge, and then you're in, 
And if someone steals that session identifier, they can do whatever they want with your accounts. We like the idea of using something like Duo Push to actually send an out-of-band notification to people's phones to say, are you sure that you want to send $10,000 to this numbered account in Nigeria? And then if you do, then it's just a simple one tap to say yes. And if you don't, then it's only two taps to report that this is a fraudulent transaction to one of your system administrators. What do you think will be the long-term impact of Heartbleed? Do you think that uh, there's going to be uh, more scrutiny of you know, uh, SSL implementations, um, organizations that use it saying, you know, have we deployed this securely? Are we using, you know, perfect forward security and, and other options to to um, make us more resistant to attack? Um, or do you think folks are just going to kind of patch the heartbleed vulnerability and move on and, and not have the larger conversation? I really hope that we see the sorts of larger conversations that you've described here. And one of the big problems, of course, was that OpenSSL, that open source project, essentially represented a piece of critical infrastructure that a lot of the internet relied upon to provide security. But the level of funding and the level of participation in this project and also just you know for for various reasons the code quality ended up being completely antithetical to the idea of this project being something that we should all really be relying upon and we've seen some steps in the wake of heartbleed that seem promising I, I believe I read that there are some initiatives which major corporations are going to actually start trying to fund projects to, to bring this up to speed. And of course, there's also the Libre SSL work that the OpenBSD developers are working on. But then as to your other point, even if we shore up the code quality of OpenSSL and perhaps other implementations, bugs like this, breaks like this, they're still going to happen. So again, I really hope that this kind of serves as a, uh, a call to action to everyone to evaluate whether what they're not just whether they're using SSL or not, but whether they're using it well and whether they're building additional layers of security that might allow them to better weather a, a, a future heartbleed. Though it does seem that we're in, we're, we're maybe in, at an inflection point in the certainly in the security world where companies have made a lot of uh, investments in hardware and software in the last you know ten or fifteen years, most of which are oriented towards a different type of problem, right? So I mean, uh, we were talking before I started before I hit record about. You know, Samantha coming out and saying, you know, antivirus is dead, uh, even though antivirus is still 40% of their revenue. They're not wrong in saying that. The days of antivirus being a frontline defense against online threats are certainly uh, long gone. Do you see that as well, that some of these products aren't really doing uh, a job or that money that's going into licenses and, and support might be better put on a different type of technology. I really do, yes. 
a lot of what we're seeing today is that people have built their networks and their security posture around the idea of a perimeter. You have a firewall, you have a VPN that allows remote access through your perimeter, but otherwise basically your internal services that run your business are segregated from the rest of the internet. But with everyone moving more and more of their infrastructure to the cloud, it really means that this perimeter model of security is kind of no longer an effective way to keep your users and your data secure. And we really, this, this is part of the story that we at Duo like to tell because we think that one of the major ways to deal with this movement in IT architecture is to focus more on users. And of course, focusing more on users can mean focusing more on user authentication. And user authentication also is often one of the only security controls that's really available with some of these managed cloud services through things like federated logon protocols. Whereas for everything beneath that, for network layer security, IDS, et cetera, you basically just have to trust that the cloud provider knows what they're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come in and talk to us at the Security Ledger. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to get a chance to talk again soon. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just say that uh, we're also doing a webinar on some of the topics that we just discussed with the SANS Institute. The uh, recording should be up on our website. If you go to doasecurity.com and navigate to our blog, it should be there. Adam, thanks a lot. Thank you. Adam Goodman is Principal Security Architect at Duo Security. He joined us today to talk about Heartbleed and Defense in Depth. Adam, thanks again. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.